you have your Bible, um, hopefully everyone has one or a device where you can look one up. We're going to be looking a lot at it today. So if you have it, please open to Acts chapter 8. Um, kids, if you don't have one with you, there are some in the back of the seats in front of you that you might be able to find one. And today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. But before we read the scripture, let's, let's pray that God will work through it. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help as we look to your word. We pray that you will give us ears to hear, and that when we read and hear your word, it will become sweeter to us and better for us than any other knowledge. Help us to love your word. We ask also that you would give us your spirit, and that it would work in us to receive the word and to be changed by it. That we would be changed when we go out from here. We would be sent by you to go from this place rejoicing. So we need your help for that, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, you, if you're open to Acts chapter 8, I'm going to read this passage beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azadus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. So an organization I used to work for is Bethany Christian Services, and they had a slogan that would sum up what they do in just like five words, and it was a home for every child. So just five words gives you an idea about what they are about. And if you go on Bethany's website um, and you read their mission statement, it'll be longer than five words, and you'll find out something about what this organization does. You'll learn about them. You'll know some things about them. But what will really help you to understand the work of Bethany is if you meet a family that has fostered or adopted through Bethany and welcomed the child into their home, or you meet someone who was once adopted through Bethany, or in foster care through Bethany. Hearing these firsthand accounts will tell you more than just reading the mission statement um, on the website or hearing a slogan. In, In Acts, we see the story of the church. 
Jesus, in the beginning, gives a charge to his disciples. He ascends into heaven, sends his Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, we have story after story, account after account of how Jesus is building his church. Um, if we were to pick like a verse for like what is the slogan for what's happening in the book of Acts, in the first chapter, right before Jesus ascends, he says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So that's it. He, he is going to empower his people and they are going to be his witnesses proclaiming the gospel first in Jerusalem, then to the surrounding regions and to the ends of the earth. And we see throughout Acts these stories of how that actually happens. And what we just read in Acts 8 is one of those stories one of the stories about what it looks like on the ground as the gospel is going out, how Jesus is building his church in this way. So our big idea today is just me rephrasing, paraphrasing Acts 118, that mission statement from the beginning. But the big idea is that God is sending his people with his spirit to bring his gospel to his elect everywhere in his word world. So we, where we began in verse 26, when we began reading, the angel of the Lord came to Philip. And so we're going to come back to the bit about the angel in a, in a moment. But I would like us to think about Philip. And I want to remind us about who Philip is. And as we think about him, I don't want us to think about him as a towering figure in the Bible like Moses is. Or like Peter. But as a believer, a follower of Jesus. Someone who heard the gospel, responded, was baptized into a church, and is trying to live his life to do what Jesus tells him to do and to go where Jesus tells him to go. Um, and so let's look at Philip. We first meet Philip um, in the book of Acts when he was a participant in the Jerusalem church. That's where he became, was added to the church. And when a dispute arose in that church, the apostles asked the people of the church to select from among themselves seven men who were of good repute and full of the Holy Spirit to serve tables so that the apostles could focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. And Philip was selected as one of those men. And he went from being a participant to, in the church to being a consecrated, set-apart servant in the church in Jerusalem. Um, and he starts being referred to in the book of Acts with the moniker Philip, one of the seven. So he was one of those, who, that one of those seven who was set aside. He wasn't Philip the apostle, one of the twelve. He was Philip, one of the seven. And we see Philip again in chapter 8. And we read that in the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1, that on the day that Stephen, who was one of the seven, was seized and he was killed, that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. So Philip was one of those who were scattered. scattered. There's a persecution in the church. And there is a scattering to the surrounding regions. And this is in alignment with Jesus' plan. This isn't getting in the way of it. It's not disrupting it. But he said, you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria. So the church is being scattered to these regions of Judea and Samaria. And Philip is one of those. And he was called into this church. Um, he was called, set apart to be a servant in the church. And we see in Acts 8 and verses 4 and 5 that he is an evangelist. He is a proclaimer of the truth. He says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So I could say he had a career change. He went from being a servant serving tables 
to being an evangelist that is proclaiming the word, but serving others and telling others about Jesus are both part of the job description of every disciple and every follower of Jesus. He didn't change jobs. His focus changed from doing one thing in one place, and now his focus is on telling people who have not heard yet about Jesus. And starting in this, at this point, he starts being referred to not only as Philip, one of the seven, but as Philip the evangelist when he's being referred to in Acts. So Philip proclaims the word in Samaria. It's received with joy. Many are baptized, and God is working through him. And there is great fruit and joy as a result. And the apostles hear about this. They send Peter and John to Samaria to confirm what's going on um, and to pray over the new believers. And in the verse leading into what we started reading today, verse 25, it says, Now when they, meaning Peter and John, had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So Peter and John, they knew Philip. They served together in Jerusalem. They heard what was going on. They were reunited with Philip for a time, and now they're going to go back to Jerusalem. Um, This pattern we see here, and it's one we see in various places in the book of Acts of people partnering together for ministry in one place and then parting to go in different directions for the spread of the gospel. Um, That is one we see throughout Acts. It's one that continues as Jesus is building his church today. That this... um, that those who hear the gospel are baptized. They become followers. And then as they find joy and they find fruit where they are, but God then leads them to go somewhere else, to tell someone else about Jesus. Um, To give a personal example of what this looks like, um, the church I grew up in was very formative for me. The, uh, The youth group I was in when I became a believer was one where the people who were in that youth group at the time are people who I was figuring out what it means to be a follower of Jesus with. We would pray together. We would look at the word and say, what does this mean? How do we answer these questions? How do I live life? And, um, all kinds of silly questions. We figured them out together, and we loved each other, and we grew closer to each other as we helped each other walk the Christian life together. And what's common with this situation is we all got older and couldn't be in youth group together anymore, so we decided to form a Bible study. And we started meeting weekly, and we would get together, and we would continue to search the word and help each other, and it was joyful and the love we had for one another. And then what's also not uncommon is as we got older still, some people started getting married and having children, and logistically it got harder and harder for us to continue to meet in the same place. We were living in different places. We were going to different churches. And at one point, the the leader of this group, our former youth pastor, had said, guys, it's time for all of us to go and to serve God in our communities and in our churches. We can keep meeting together, but he has trained us and, um, so that we can start our own Bible studies in other places for the spread of the gospel. Um, and what was true about me at that time happens here with Philip, Peter, and John in Samaria. And it happens with us when we try to keep in step with the Spirit. We pray over people. We've done it a few times recently as they go to other places because in faith we believe God is leading them and that he's going to use them in other places. Um, in the way he works, he gives us great fellowship and joy and love and family together for a season or two or three or four or five. Um, but there comes a time when he sends us out. So Peter and John leave. Their work's apparently finished, and they part from Philip and head back. 
and Philip is having this fruitful ministry. Everything's going well, but an angel of the Lord, it says in verse 26, gives a message to Philip. And we don't know how this happens. We don't know if the angel appears in all of his glory and Philip falls to the ground and the angel has to say, do not be afraid. Or if he appears in a vision or he appears as a human in human form, all it tells us is an angel of the Lord. And it says an angel of the Lord. It's not the angel of the Lord that we read about in some other places, but a messenger of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, comes to him and delivers a message. And the message is, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So there's not much description about how the angel delivered this message, but if you look in verse 26, there's not much in the message either. He's not given a five-year plan. He's not given a destination. He's only told the direction to head in. Go towards the south, towards where that road is. He's not told what he'll do, how to prepare himself. He's given a direction to go. Um, and Luke adds the note that the area where, to the south where he would be heading is a desert place. So it's not a place where he would know there's people here, they need to hear about Jesus, I'll start t- telling them about Jesus. Um, but he's given this short message to head in a direction. And remember, we're trying to identify with Philip as a believer who is trying to do what Jesus tells him to do and go where Jesus tells him to go because that is the life of being a disciple. And so what we see from him, his response, and to his credit, is he leaves this fruitful ministry, this place where things are going well, where he has relationships that are forming, and he heads towards this deserted area. And it simply says in verse 27 that he rose and he went. Um, And it's not a long sentence. And I think because of the way his life has been lived since he was born again, since Jesus had changed him, had given him a new heart, um, and he, he became a disciple and a follower, his life has been marked by going where his leader tells him to go and doing what his leader instructs. So I think it didn't take him much time at all to get up and go. It says he rose and he he went. So let me ask us a question. Are we, are you, am I ready to get up and go when Jesus says to go? Are we prepared to leave a place where we have a role, a purpose, friendships, and success to go to an unknown place where God calls us? Even when we don't have all of the details. Are we prepared to uproot our families if that's what it takes to follow Jesus? Are we ready to send our kids not only out of our homes when they're adults or out to college, but out to the mission field where we might not see them as much? Kids, are you ready to go to places where you don't know anyone if that's what it means to follow Jesus? Um, I, to bring it an example uh, for myself again. Um, I believe that God has called me here to this city at this time. I believe he has raised me up as someone who is in Philadelphia with a love for the city, with an understanding for the, the city and the people in it, and that Northeast Philadelphia, where we are right now, is where God has called me to live my life, to know my neighbors, to love people, to serve him here. But I also know that God can call me any day to do something else. So I can look back and say, all these pieces seem to fit, and God is in it. But that doesn't mean that next year that might be the same. Um, I need to have an open hand towards where God would want me to go 
we need to have open hands about where God would want us to go because go is one of the commandments we see in scripture. Go is one of the commandments we see in this passage. And Philip, he wasn't going to argue about it. He was ready. He had prepared himself, and he rose, and he went. And as Philip went in the direction, he came across what it must have been a sight to behold, for there was a dignitary passing through this desert place. Verse 27 says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. So Luke only mentions this Ethiopian eunuch, but he wouldn't have been alone. He would have been traveling with an entourage. There would have been people with him to make sure he was well-received wherever he went, to make sure he was protected as he traveled. Um, It would have been more than just another person driving the chariot, but it's at least that because we know he's sitting and he's reading in a chariot and being carried along and someone else is transporting him. And Philip probably didn't recognize this man um, I don't know for sure that he didn't, but he probably didn't recognize him to see him. But he would have known right away that this was an important man, that this person had some wealth by the simple fact that he was a passenger in a chariot. Um, I tried to think of an example of like what status symbol will show wealth that you would identify right away. Um, I think there's a dated one um, for, for those of us who are a little bit Um, older than kids. Uh, Back in the day, limousines used to say something. If you saw a limousine coming down your block, you might try to peek inside the window to see who was in the neighborhood, to see who would be important enough to be traveling in a limousine. Or if you were in Center City and a limousine pulled up in front of a restaurant, you might gather around to see who would come out of the car. It It was a vehicle that gave status, that you understood something about the person inside, that they were either wealthy or they were important or famous. Um, Kids, um, limos I don't think mean the same thing anymore, but if you've seen the new Disney movie, Luca, uh, in Luca, what's the vehicle? The Vespa, yes. The, The Vespa is what important people would drive, what rich people would drive. It would give, you would know they're important if they're coming into town on a Vespa, which means something else to me than it does to the people in that movie. Um, But the chariot would have symbolized, he would have known right away, this person's being pulled in a chariot, this is an important person. Um, And we're given some additional information about this important man. He is a eunuch, which in this context and at this time would have meant that he was castrated so that he could become a trusted official in the court. So this is not something I'm aware of happening today, but at the time, a man made into a eunuch was seen to be made trustworthy by removing his ability to procreate and to have children. So a eunuch would be unlikely to try to overthrow a leader because he would not be, have, have children of his own to set up in place after him. He would not be able to establish a dynasty. And so a man made into a eunuch would be seen as having a little more trustworthiness to be close to high officials and serve um, in, the, in that way. And this particular eunuch, it says, was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So Candace is a name today. It's a beautiful name. Um, But at the time, it was a title like Pharaoh was that would be given to the king of Egypt. So whoever becomes king of Egypt is the Pharaoh, and whoever becomes king after him is the new Pharaoh. The Candace was a title. The Candace of Ethiopia Ethiopia would have been the queen mother 
and would have had responsibilities over many things in the kingdoms, since affairs like that of the treasury would have been seen as beneath the dignity of the king. And so this official, we're told, was in charge of all of the Candace's treasury, and this would have made him an influential person um, indeed. So the eunuch's passing by on the road on his return trip from Jerusalem, and in verse 27, it tells us he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So we can guess and infer some things about um, the, the Ethiopian official here from just these pieces of information that are give, given to us. We, we don't know his background. Um, he might have been a slave, an, um, a Jewish slave that was taken to Ethiopia and raised to prominence, much like Joseph was in Egypt. Um, probably not. I think that would be a detail we would have in the scripture if that was the case. Or he could have come across um, Jewish slaves when he was a slave himself. Um, in Ethiopia, or in one way or another, he found out about the God of Israel, and God worked in him in such a way that he gave him a curiosity, a, a hungriness, a desire to know this God, this God of Israel. And we see him um, going to great lengths, literally traveling great lengths to go to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. We see him, he spent, must have spent lots of money on this scroll. This scroll was not a common thing. They, everything was handwritten. There wouldn't have been many of them. To get a, a copy of your own, um, of a scroll of, of scripture, would have been expensive. So he's traveling great distances on a pilgrimage. He's buying scripture to know more. And, that, and he is seeking after God. And Philip, so back to Philip, he's taken in the scene as he's traveling in the direction that the angel told him to go. And now it's not an angel, but the spirit that speaks to Philip in verse 29. It says, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So we don't, I don't know how the spirit spoke to him. If it was a voice that he heard audibly or if it was inwardly within him in a way he could never describe with words. But the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip listens, and it says he ran to the chariot. He might have had to run in order to catch up. It might have been ahead of him. It might have been moving pretty quickly. Um, I like to think that he was eager to obey, that he has prepared himself for this life of following Jesus. And so he eagerly runs to obey. He is quick to respond where the Lord is leading so, this, what's happening so far, Philip being called to leave a place, to go to a place, the spirit telling him as he's going, go over there and talk to this person, how God's working here to bring together this meeting of the, uh, um, the official and Philip, it's something I think we could apply to how we live our lives. We could think about how we can be used by God in our going, wherever we are going, to meet people that Jesus is leading us to intersect with, to have a conversation about him with. Um, we live in the Northeast, and by, I don't mean Northeast Philadelphia, Northeast United States, where we have a reputation of being in a hurry, of not wanting to wait, of um, getting angry when people slow us down in traffic. Um, our reputation is that we uh, hate wasting time, 
and waiting is one of the worst things possible. Um, That might not be true about you or me, but it is true, I'm told, by people who have lived in other places, that that is true of where we live, that that's the culture we're in. So if this is our culture, to be in a hurry, to schedule things, to show up just in time, leave just as things end, to get on to the next thing, one thing after another. Well, when we, think, when we look at Philip and the eunuch here, I think God might have an application for us to, to see how Philip listened to go and then was open to the Spirit redirecting him as he was going. Um, as we go places, one, ways we can overcome the tendencies of our culture to be intentional, is to pray. Every time we leave our house, we can ask God, interrupt what I'm planning to do. I'm planning to go shopping. I'm planning to go to um, a medical appointment and sit in the waiting room. Please use that time. Please cause me to cross paths with someone. Give me an opportunity. Use me as a messenger for you in someone else's life. We can pray and we can ask God, but we also need to give him space. So if we're the type of people who only show up after something already started and leave before it's over, um, we aren't given a lot of space for those interruptions. So just practically, um, we can give space by given time, given margin, going slower, showing up early. And I'm not talking about church. It's nice if everyone shows up and they pray that God would use them to bless other people. That would be great here. But I mean those outside things, ball games with kids, going to the market, things like that. So we see this divine appointment happening as these two men cross paths. Philip was told to go and join the chariot. And he's starting in verse 30. It says, So Philip ran to him and heard him, the eunuch, reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And the official said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So this is, this is a beautiful story. This is a story of the gospel going out to someone and them hearing it. Paul in Romans calls the gospel the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And in a different letter, he talks about the gospel as bearing fruit and abounding everywhere in the world. The gospel going out, the gospel powerfully doing things. And we see God talk to Philip through an angel and through his spirit. And now we're going to see God save this eunuch, not through an angel appearing to him, but through what God has chosen, a more ordinary way of the gospel, God's word being proclaimed, and a believer explaining it to him. So this is my story. This is a lot of our stories. We didn't have angels appear to us. But God chose his gospel to be his means and his people to be his means of delivering it. And we've heard the gospel and someone explained what it meant. And God worked within us through those means to save us. And this conversion here 
of the Ethiopian eunuch. This contrasts with Simon the magic. Sorry, Joey. Joey called Simon the magician, Simon the magic man once. And in my mind, I get them mixed up um, and sound foolish sometimes when I'm talking. So Simon the magician or Simon the magic man, um, he was baptized, but what drew him in? What was he drawn to? He was drawn to the power and the miracles. He did miracles himself, and that drew people to him. And he saw crowds forming around others, and he was drawn, and he even offered money to get the same power. But it's not the miracles, even though God works through miracles. It's not the miracles that draw the eunuch here. It's his word. And it's his word, his gospel, that is central to what is going on. So Philip runs up, he sits down, and he engages in reading the Bible with him and talking about what it means. He's having a Bible study in this chariot on a desert road. And as we're seeking to be followers of Jesus who will go where he says to go and to do what he says to do, we need to be prepared to speak to others about Jesus. We need to be prepared to explain the gospel. If someone says, what does this mean? We need to be prepared that God would use us, even us, to be the one to answer that question. Um, God promises grace. So a lot of us, I feel inadequate <laughs> to explain the gospel to people, but he gives grace we need in those moments. And he tells us he chooses the foolish and the inadequate things of this world so that when he works through them, when he uses people and words, that it's shown that it's not the people who are great, but it is his power that saves. He is the one that is glorified in the end. And so they're... The, Ethiopian eunuch is reading a passage of scripture. He's reading the passage that we read from what we read earlier from Isaiah 53. And it's about Jesus. And it's a prophecy of the coming servant who's going to suffer to save God's people. Um, And then as he's reading, he asks, who is this passage talking about? Who is this person that will go suffering without objecting to it? And so for context, even though we read it earlier, I'm going to read again from Isaiah 53, so we know, we can see the context of what they are looking at. So God's word says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken with the transgression of my people? 
For they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Philip hears him reading in this passage and, he's, and then the man says, he says, do you understand who this is about? And he says, how can I unless someone tells me? And I'm sure he was like, well, let me tell you who this was about. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is that servant. Jesus is the servant that came from God. And like the passage said, he did nothing wrong, yet he willingly laid down his life to bring peace, healing, and forgiveness to his people. It says that Philip began here with this scripture and went on to tell all about Jesus. And I'm sure he talked about the altar and the temple where the eunuch just was for worship and how Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb who was slaughtered so that the sins of his people could be placed upon him. I'm sure he talked about how more than that, Jesus' perfect life, how he kept the law perfectly, that righteousness he transfers on to those he saves, that makes them cleaner and purer than any law in Leviticus could ever do. I'm sure he told him how Jesus was the perfect prophet and the perfect king, how he's the word, how everything points to him, and all the promises of God find their yes in him. And I bet, I bet he made it personal for this Ethiopian eunuch too. So this official was being drawn by God, but even though he could travel, he could never get too close in worship. As a rich and powerful person, he could go all the way to Jerusalem. He could go to the place of worship. He could purchase handwritten copies of scripture. He could get audiences with people because rich people can talk to other people, maybe even the high priest and talk to him. But he could never be with God's people um, and never get too close. He could never fully participate in the worship of the Jewish community. Um, Deuteronomy 23, it's in in the law of Moses, and in Deuteronomy 23, it lists out categories of people excluded from the assembly. And it begins with this verse that says, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off, in other words, a eunuch, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So to put it in shorter terms, eunuchs are not allowed in public worship. He could go to great lengths, He could have a desire for God. He could be drawn, but he had to keep a distance. He could never get too close. Intimacy with God, it would seem, would not be for him. But like so many parts of Scripture, God God, gives promises of the way it is today is not always going to be this way. And one of those promises is for foreigners and is for eunuchs. Um, And in Isaiah 56, these words would have been precious to him, I'm I'm sure. It says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenants, I will give in my house and within my walls, (laughs) inside his house, inside his walls, place he couldn't go, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, something a eunuch could never have, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So Philip must have pointed to this passage and said, all these things that are new in Jesus, this new covenant is new with Jesus, you no longer need to be an outsider standing afar off. You can be one of his people. And indeed, 
brothers and sisters with the people of God, and indeed, a brother of Jesus and a son of the Father. You no longer need to go to the temple, for he will come to you. He'll dwell in you. He'll give you his spirit to indwell you and be with you always. And that is better and closer and more intimate than having a front row seat at the temple in Jerusalem during this gathered assembly. And this is how Paul summarizes the good news, this good news in Ephesians 2. Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. And through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How sweet to be a member of the household of God must have sounded. And after hearing such news, it's no wonder that the official seeing water asked if he could be baptized. If he could follow Jesus, if he could be joined to the people of God, become part of his household. So they stop the chariot, Philip baptizes the eunuch, and the Bible tells us that as they were leaving the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. So Philip's job was done in this desert place, and God carries him away to another town. Um, So the official doesn't freak out like you would or I would if someone just, like, disappeared in front of us. But supposing it had been an angel, or that God can do anything. This is how God works. This, in fact, is how God was working. He just rejoices, and he goes on his way, overfilled with joy. And that's the effect of the gospel on this foreigner, this outsider who was physically unfit for being part of the people of God. He he was made part of the family of God, and now he's overflowing with joy. And we don't know what happens next, but because we know how God works, and we know how he builds his church, he saves. And then he fills with his spirit, and he uses those people to go and tell other people the good news to build his church, we can assume that this eunuch went back to Ethiopia and told others about Jesus. And the church, the gospel went forth and the church continued to be built. So just a couple ways we can respond. Um, One, if you're here and you're honest with yourself and you'd say, I am not part of the household of God. I am not part of the family of God. Maybe you're here because you like the community or you admire the community or for some reason you think you're not good enough to be part of the family of God. Well, I want you to know that the gospel is not just for eunuchs. It's not just for people in the book of Acts. The gospel is for all who will respond in faith to Jesus. We all can be part of the family of God. We all can be filled to overflowing with rejoicing. So if he's been drawing you in some way. He's been working in you, giving you desire, a hunger that won't be satisfied with anything else. Jesus is what satisfies. Respond to him by faith. And then when you do, it's okay to ask lots of questions. (laughs) Say, what does this mean in the Bible? That's what the eunuch was doing. What What does this mean? How do I follow him? Can I be baptized? These are questions to ask. And church, this has been a story that gives us a glimpse of how God works through his people to achieve his mission. Are we ready as those who have been saved by him and added to the church to go where he sends us to go and do what he tells us to do? Are we looking to him for marching orders? 
He has us here on this earth for a reason. Every day that we live has a purpose in it. And if your life has been redeemed, this earthly life is for his glorious praise. Um, And after this short life is over, we are going to enjoy eternity with him. Um, I talked a little bit about people partnering and then going. And there's some sadness when we pray over people and they go out. There'll be a day when we will be reunited. Um, And what a glorious gospel that saves us from our sins, brings us into a family, and gives us eternity together with each other and with him. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for Jesus and for sending your beloved son to bear the guilt, the shame, infirmities, and sin of those who you have redeemed and are redeeming. Help us to love the good news of Jesus and cherish it. Help us to be filled with rejoicing because we who were far off from you are now yours. Please empower us by your spirit to be your messengers to proclaim your gospel. Please direct us where to go and by your spirit give us comfort and fulfillment in following your lead. Where you lead, we will follow. So please use our ransomed lives in any way you please. And we ask that you will grant us grace that we need at this moment as we share this supper together, renew our faith and our unity as we look to you. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen.